0: The Ordinance of Covenanting. This is week 32. Topic is Covenanting Predicted in Prophecy. Uh, Remember our fourth term of communion, public social covenanting is an ordinance of God, obligatory on churches and nations under the New Testament. All right, so we're going to be looking at um, the general question of how prophecy. Uh, prophecy of the Bible supports social covenanting. And then we want to look at two different aspects of this. Uh, uh, We're going to look at a couple of specific prophecies about covenanting under the Old Testament administrations. And then finally we'll look at uh, the prophecies about Covenanting under the New Testament administration, and we're um, going to spend more time on on the latter because I don't think anybody who's read the Bible is going to argue too much about uh, the reality of, of social covenanting in the Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament era, a lot of people think that. Um, Uh, Maybe this doesn't necessarily apply. So we want to look at the relation between prophecy and covenanting. Because this connection actually, I think, forms a a pretty good proof and prop for the doctrine of social covenanting. And once we see that there is... um, Uh, this relation and what we might call prophetic expectation uh, with respect to covenanting, we shouldn't be surprised then to see, first of all, uh, that that is being carried out under the Old Testament administrations, and then we shouldn't be surprised uh, keeping in mind, you know that we've we've already talked about how covenanting is a moral ordinance, um, but as a prophesied ordinance, <clears throat> something prophesied in the New Testament era, it has, I think, um, an additional uh, additional. Um, uh, point uh, to make with regard to the doctrine of covenanting. It's it's really showing us that this is not not simply something uh, that we've said is moral and then we're applying it under the New Testament, but it's actually something, and this is really what we're going to be looking at with prophecy in general, uh, that you'll see this, When something is prophesied and then we see the fulfillment and and God's approbation on that fulfillment and so on, there's there's, um, a declaration in the prophecy of God's purposes and there is in the um, fulfilling of these prophecies there's an owning and approving of those divine purposes in history. So, uh, we want to look first then at the question of, question one, how does prophecy support social covenanting? The answer uh, is this, the fact of covenanting under the Old Testament dispensations, being approved of God, gives a proof that it was proper then, Uh, which is accompanied by the voice of prophecy, affording evidence that even in periods uh, then-future, it should be no less proper. So we want to compare Zechariah 8.23 with Ezekiel 16.8 verse 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in
1: those days it shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the spirit of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Samuel 16, 8, <laughs> Now I have by thee, and looked upon thee. Behold, thy time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee. Covered thy nakedness, and I swear unto thee, and enter into
0: a covenant with thee, said the Lord God, and I became a mother. Right. So, first thing that we can notice from that is that there is some <coughs> some intimation in prophecy that. What is going on in prophesying, or excuse me, in covenanting, uh, is something not limited to the times of those who are prophesying, but they they are looking down the corridors of of the future, and they're seeing something, uh, in this case, it's something we're, we'll talk about more as we go a little further uh, into this topic. But in this case, they're looking down the corridors of time at what we would call the restoration of the Jews and, and the, um, the effect that that would have on the Gentile church. <clears throat> so, th- it's important to understand that the prophecies are not, with regard to covenanting, <clears throat> they're not all limited to <clears throat> what we would call the um, the Old Testament era. They're not all neatly tied up by the time Christ comes, nor are they all tied up with the coming of Christ, as if he fulfills every aspect uh, that is being held forth, not just in these prophecies, but specifically in these prophecies with respect to social covenanting, public social covenanting. So they're looking at the future, if you can imagine, And they are seeing it in terms that involve this Ordinance of Covenanting. And again, I would remind you as we go through these, although there are people today who would assert that a lot of this, or maybe all of this, is typological, uh, typologies... um, typologies generally um, have some kind of an answerability uh, in in um, the antitype right they're made after that pattern and when we look at covenanting we would have to ask ourselves what covenanting is a pattern of what uh, it's a pattern of covenanting when we we've looked at this, right, there's it's not pointing to something else, it's pointing to itself, and that means it's not a type, it's not a shadow. <clears throat> right? It is what it is. And so when these prophecies are foreseeing in the future, what we would call covenanting times, under what we're going to see. Uh, is very clearly the New Testament, then we have to conclude that covenanting is not simply limited to that period of time that we would associate with the Old Testament. All right. So the argument for the service that's afforded by prophecy is peculiar. And um, though corresponding with evidence from other sources is independent. Um it, it's peculiar um, because the prophecy is really a, a drawing back uh, so that we can uh, take a look into the future right there's there's something, interesting about that but it it also corresponds with with evidences that we find um, from other sources and and so we want to look at um, uh, Luke uh, 24 verse 27 here
2: <clears throat>
0: so, when we consider uh, Christ, right, and and the fact that there's a sense in which all of the um, the Old Testament. Is talking about him. How many different ways does is talk about him? Prophecy is only one line of proof, right? But pointing to Christ and who he is and, and when he's coming and all of that. It's not the only thing. So we, we have to look at that and say, well, we have, <clears throat> we have prophecy, uh, which provides one line of argumentation for the Messiah. But we, we also have promises. We have the covenant, right? The covenant of redemption, <clears throat> the administrations of that covenant. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, all of the types shadows, ceremonies, all of that sort of thing. And we have all of that going on. And so, only, um, uh, prophecy is peculiar, uh, and, and it's actually an independent source, because if you can imagine uh, prophecy, because it's looking down the corridors of time, all right, it's, it's actually leaping over, if you will, a lot of those types and shadows to take you right to the point of fulfillment, to give you a picture of what that fulfillment will look like in the future. <clears throat> so it's independent. It's not dependent upon these other lines of argumentation. Okay, that's that's what prophecy is interesting that way, and so again, keep that in mind as we're talking about covenanting. You know, when when prophecy is talking about covenanting, uh, it's it's looking down the corridors of time, and it's going to take up this issue of covenanting, independent of other lines of argumentation. Like, this is God revealing His future purpose. There is, in that, um, usually there's either an expression of, of approbation or disapprobation, depending on what the, what the matter is being prophesied. But we're going to see, in the case of covenanting, uh, it comes with the approbation of God. <clears throat> God isn't mad looking down, you know, as it were, looking down the corridors of time that people are going to covenant you know, it's not like when he's he, he's looking down and prophesies that you know they're going to sin, somebody's going to sin, or some some nation is going to sin in this or that way, right? the 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 fact is, they're going to um, uh, he's, he, this stuff is going to uh, uh, be it, it will fall out in this way uh, as God has foretold, right? And the, this. This shows us not only the omniscience of God, but really it it tells us something about the omnipotence of God, right? Because God uh, not only can predict the future, uh, the very reason, the fact that you can predict the future with 100% accuracy is a pretty good indication that you are controlling all of the things that are going into that future, right? So the sovereignty of God is certainly on display in Prophecy, genuine prophecy. <clears throat> so we know that God willed to make to make known truth through His servants the prophets. Second Kings twenty one ten.
1: The word spake by His servants the prophets
0: saying, speak by His servants the prophets." Right. Uh, they're again and again they're called His servants. Very common phrase in uh, scripture. Uh, there's, in fact, uh, <clears throat> I, one of the professors for the early professors at Westminster Seminary did a book about the Bible uh, called "Thy Servants Prophets," and uh, that's because this phrase comes up again and again and again. There, there are a lot of things that go into this idea of prophecy. Um, there's certainly the sovereignty of God, but when we're talking about what's being revealed, we're also talking about the matter of the inspiration of God. Right? These prophecies are the inspired word of God. They're being carried about um, by the Spirit of God. Okay. So God willed to make known truth through his servants and prophets, and we should receive it as transmitted by them, in a manner peculiarly calculated to invite attention. Uh, so, for example, look at 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. First Peter 1, 10 through 12. through
1: 12. And The prophets have inquired and searched diligently, you prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which by when it testified beforehand in the, suffering, the, before in the suffering of Christ, and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they administer the things that are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, for the you have sent down from heaven. To
0: look into. So when Peter is talking about what the prophets are prophesying. He, he's he's telling you that their vision had respect to the New Testament era, what we would now call the Gospel era, and it it excited the attention of those to whom it came. It should excite our attention even more, right? Remember, and he and he points out the angels are is the Greek word means that they're stooping down they're trying to look in and understand what's going on uh, with respect to what was prophesied about Christ and the time of the gospel and so that being said you know if it excite if it excited the attention of those people in the Old Testament and it excites the attention of the angels so that they're stooping down and trying to get a peek <clears throat> at what this means. How much more should it excite your attention since, in fact, uh, you have a very direct interest in this if you're a believer? right? So uh, these prophecies, these things that are being prophesied they're not simply um, matters which are theoretical or you know what we might call esoteric matters, uh, matters that are uh, just really fit for say philosophical discussion. But ultimately, what is being proclaimed in? The teaching of the prophets and and is being proclaimed by the teaching of the apostles has um, very practical application. And it it certainly is very consequential uh, for those of us who have come into the world after the coming of Christ. Okay, so it hasn't become less important, it's actually become more important what they're saying. Because what they've said bears witness to what we know and and have proclaimed now by the Apostles. All right, a statute tells what, according to the authority of God, ought to be done. James 4.2 and then James 2.10 and 11.
3: James 4.2, you lust and have not, you kill and you go and you come out of pain, you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not.
2: James, 11, whoever shall keep the whole wall, and yet if in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So,
0: so The law tells you what you ought to do. Uh, prophecy prophecy tells you what God is going to do or what God is going to cause to fall out. Um, there's a sense in which if that's all we knew, we would we would need to go back and and say, well, is this right or wrong? You know, because our our rule <clears throat> um, would not simply be uh, our our rule is not what is, uh, but our rule is what ought to be, right? We we have to live by the law. Um, nonetheless, prophecy when it has this. Approbation of God, when it's flowing forth in an approving manner, when it is looking forward to something which has the very clear approbation and and good pleasure of God upon it, that tells us that what is going on um, in the future, uh, what's being predicted, that that is in fact also uh, according to the will of God for us, right? That there's <clears throat> that there is um, a clear indication of of what we ought to do in that. But the revelation of God's purposes unfolds precisely the same things as. Uh, as to be done but according to his sovereign arrangements made to lead them so we're going to look at revelation 5, 5.
3: of the book seven
0: So, um, the point, the point here is that, uh, the, the one in view who is worthy to take the book is very clearly Christ. And he is then at the center of All of these historical purposes; um, everything is revolving around him and what he's going to do. And um, prophecy is, uh, if if you can envision it this way, the law is in a sense pushing us in a direction. Prophecy is drawing us from the other end of history. Right? It is particularly, again, when we have clear indications that God approves, then there is something there worthy of emulating or, or imitating. And conversely, when it's very clear that it does not have the divine approbation, whatever is being prophesied, that's a good indication. Don't do that. Right? Bad. <clears throat> so prophecy declares indeed the purposes of God, but especially the carrying of them into effect in individual cases. We'll look at First Kings seventeen sixteen. First Kings verse 16. And the barrel of meal waste is not the cruise of oil failed according to the word of the Lord taken by Elijah. So there, you know, you might say, well, that's not a a big deal. Uh, but first of all, it's actually a huge deal because if if the prophet's word had been wrong in predicting uh, the outcome with this cruise of oil. Uh, If it had been wrong in this little thing, (coughs) it would have called into question everything that he said as a prophet, his very character of being a prophet of God. All right? So we see that when these prophets are functioning in their prophetic roles, the purposes of God... Are being revealed, not always just in broad strokes, but sometimes in very specific matters. And and we could get into. Um, we could get into the uh, the uh, typology and the the um, symbolism in you know with regard to this cruise of oil. Uh, it, it has. Reference to uh, the New Testament era in some way. What do all of these miracles in the Old Testament do? Okay, so it's not our purpose here to get into what all of these miracles mean. <clears throat> but you should know that all of them are pointing, again, beyond themselves. Because they're, they're forming another line of argument. All right? But here's a prophecy... And it respects actually uh, something miraculous. Uh, It has, of course, uh, a direct tendency to to reflect upon the prophet of God. And all of that then is there. And, And all of God's purposes are working in that his purposes are being worked out and there's a revelation in any number of ways you want to look at that <clears throat> because of this because God is working through this in so many ways there's a prophecy there's a miracle there's a prophet uh, there you know there's a there's an historical narrative going on there's a storyline um, we we have all of this being set in the broader context of the um, uh, the northern kingdom, Israel. Okay, So there's a lot going on here. And, and prophecy, um, prophecy is always, always revealing something with respect to the purposes of God, uh, unfolding and revealing the purposes of God so in the purposes of God, each fact agreeable to his will is provided for. Look get Isaiah 46.10.
1: Isaiah 46.10. <clears throat> I the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. <clears throat>
0: Alright, so... The um, fact is that God's purposes, when we're talking about prophecy, this is God's prophecy. And so his prophecy will provide for all of his purposes. In prophecies, such of these facts as he's resolved to make known are presented. I'll look at Amos 3 7. Amos 3 verse 7.
2: Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth
0: the secrets unto the servants of the prophets. God is, and God has said he's going to, um, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do it as revealed by the prophets. Right? So we don't just have. We don't just have the um, the unfolding of providence, but we have this prophetic foretelling of the unfolding of providence, which is confirming all of this. Again, this is, a, a, of course, a great proof of the divinity, uh, the, the, the nature of the divinity with which we have to do, that he can predict all of this. Right, the reality of the pre-intimation of these shows their importance and points out that preparation ought to be made for them. We'll look at Genesis
1: 6.13.
0: Yeah, so in other words, God, why is God revealing this stuff? Uh, he's revealing this stuff... In order that, number one, you understand that it is important. All right, It's important um, to you. It's important uh, in, a, in a broader context to the church and people of God. You are to take that seriously and you're prepared for it. Right? Just like God is giving this warning to Noah. He's telling him what's going to happen. Okay, so these things are all meant to prepare. Uh, it's to prepare you individually. It's to prepare the church corporately. It's to uh, set out the course that the church will be uh, that the church will be um, following throughout its history. The assurance that a fact of covenant is predicted is a substantial argument for its lawfulness. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 10, 20. Deuteronomy 10,
1: verse 20, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and him shalt thou serve,
0: and him shalt thou believe, and swear by his name. Yeah, thou shalt uh, thou shalt swear by his name. Right? That's not just a command. <clears throat> But in the imperfect, there is, in fact, um, an anticipation of future behavior there. So there is, in all of that, uh, both a command and a prophecy, if if you will. Um, Now... think about the way this this sort of thing works right the the prophecy is essentially from a prophetic point of view if you are numbered among the people of god you're going to do this if you're not You're not going to do this, but this is what the people of God will do. This is how the people of God will conduct themselves. This is how things will be as they move forward in history. The individuals to perform it, then, may be urged by a variety of motives. So look, for example, at Joshua 2, verses 1 through 4 and 12 to 21, and then Joshua 6,
3: Twenty-two to twenty-five. Joshua two one through four. Joshua the son of Nun set out of eighteen men to spy secretly, saying, "Go view the land, even Jericho." And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. There was told the king of Jericho, saying, "Behold, there came men and hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country." And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men, and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. 12. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token and that you will save a of my father and my mother and my brother and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dropped upon the wall. Said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned. And afterward, may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou which thou didst let us down by, and I shall bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home. <coughs> And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. Whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to And she said, according to your word, so be it. He sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line
1: to the window. Joshua
2: 6, 25. The Joshua had said unto the men that were spied out of the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. They burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had, both in Israel, even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out
0: Jericho. So what do we know so far from Joshua about this special case of Rahab? We know that the spies come into the land, that they they actually swear an oath, right? There's a covenant. Um, and it's conditional. You know, she has to put out this red scarlet thread or whatever, and she has to have her family ready to go when they come. She does what she's supposed to do. She keeps the condition of the covenant on her end. Uh, They deliver her. So here's this covenanting going on. They're being moved for for different reasons, aren't they? You know, the the, uh, spies have one thing in mind. They're trying to figure out... How to destroy Jericho, she wants her, herself and her family to survive. Probably not thinking much beyond that. They have this covenant. They, and, and as with all covenanting, they're actually taking hold of this covenant of grace. right. So what happens then? Well, that by uh, the fact is that even though they're urged by a variety of motives, even by the promise in reference to their doing it, right? There, there's an immediate promise there for them uh, without knowing at the time that they were the special objects of the promise. In other words, they don't they don't always recognize that there's something beyond there's something that that covenant is reaching out and, and pulling to them uh, and, and pulling them toward. Uh, all at once, right? They're joining. The, when when they're covenanting, they are in a sense reaching out of time into eternity. And this has consequences. So look at look at Ruth four twenty one going to compare that with Matthew one five.
1: Number five. Simon begat Boaz of
0: Rahab and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse. Yeah, so we begat was of Rahab. In other words, Rahab ends up being in the line of Messiah. Right? She is Jesus' great-great-great-great-grandmother. Well, how did that all come about? There was this little incident of covenanting. None of them probably were thinking about... the the distant outcome of that or where this would lead. But they were all obedient to not only the duty, but the covenant that was made in the doing of that duty. And it has ramifications long after, far beyond, where, where they thought to go. Right, so the argument from prophecy derives its value from two things, right? Uh, that the subject of prophetic intimation is provided for by the Lord himself is warranted. So look at uh, Proverbs 8, 7, for example.
1: Proverbs 8, verse 7. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomin- abomination to my lips.
0: Yeah. So the um, the thing the the prophetic intimation is warranted uh, by the Lord Himself, right? It's truth. He's speaking truth. This is the, the truth He's seeking in in uh, his in uh, the future. And the second thing is, it's beyond the power of men either to fulfill it otherwise than He's arranged, or to prevent its accomplishment. So look, for example, Daniel four. Uh, verses
1: 24 to 35. 24 to 35. The interpretation of the king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from man, thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat the grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Till, I know, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to him for free will. Whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou hast known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins, by righteousness, thine iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this all this came upon the King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, king and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be the beasts of the field, they shall make to thee they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The thing hour was the thing filled with Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and to eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers. Nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And not in saying his hand or saying
0: to him, What doest well. thou? Okay, so the the fact is, <clears throat> right, Daniel uh, tells, declares to Nebuchadnezzar uh, the 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 um, the future, right? What what is going to happen to him uh, in the future, how he is going to be for a time deprived and all of that. And Again, it, it's beyond his power. Even though he knows this is going to happen, he's been told, it still falls out that way. Uh, he, his, his will is bound by the divine will. And, and the, um, the fact is that at the end of it all, he is constrained to declare this very point. Right, that, that no one, there is no power that can undo the sovereign dominion of God over the affairs of men. <clears throat> <clears throat> prophecy then describes with precision facts that will take place. Look at Second Chronicles 18.27.
1: Proverbs 18:27 and Micah said, "If thou certainly return in peace, then hath not the Lord spoken by me?" And he said, "Harken,
0: all ye people." If if it doesn't fall out the way that you know that I I've declared it's going to fall out, then you know the Lord hasn't spoken by. Me. Prophecy is meant to declare with precision exactly what's going to take place. All right, and and we could uh, we could uh, prove this in a number of ways. And if you've um, if you remember any of the things that we've gone over with respect to prophecy, uh, prophecy is amazingly detailed right the bible's actually very um, very precise in its predictions and the fulfillments you know beyond what most people probably would expect you know it's the bible's not the, like the oracle of delphi which was notorious for giving these prophecies that could be fulfilled either way, um, and it just really they they were sort of like riddles, and and um, you know depending on what happened, uh, you could claim that it you know the prophecy was fulfilled this way or that the prophecy was fulfilled that way. In the Bible, there are plenty of details that are set forth. So that Bible prophecy is precise. There's a precision. And if you think about it this way, it's, it's sort of like God, um, it, when God predicts something, it's like God is looking down the corridors of time. And he shoots this arrow of prediction. And his arrow of prediction always hits the target 100%. In that, Bible prophecy is entirely different from every other kind of of false prophecy that's arisen in the history of mankind. So, men are brought into the circumstances to which a prophecy refers, and they may be ignorant of the fact. We see this, if we start looking at uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 6, and then 15 to 17. 1 Kings
3: 22. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. 15. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. The king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills, as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master; let them return every man to his house in peace.
0: So they're they're brought into circumstances very often, okay, to which a prophecy would refer. They're ignorant of the fact, and yet afterward they know it. They come to know it. And they attest the verity of the prediction. So let's continue with 1 Kings 22,
2: 29-37. 37 so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramaphillion. The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put them on their robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle, but the king of Syria commanded his third king. The chariots, saying, neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Truly it is the King of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel in the harness he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was laid out in his chariot against the and died at even, and the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. And the went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So the king died, and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria.
0: So again, what, what's the point here? They knew. He knew the prophecy, right? He, he knew the prophecy. He was brought to all of the circumstances, and he still denied it. He was in denial of the facts. You know, he thinks he's somehow going to fool God, right? He's going to go out, and somehow he's going to get around the prophecy by this true prophet of God, so he thinks if he if he um, dis- disguises himself and goes off into the battle, nobody's going to know he's a king. Well, nobody did know he was a king. So they didn't attack him directly like they, they would have. We see from the account they would have attacked him. And he thought he was going to dodge that. And instead, we're told that a certain archer at a venture. Right? He just pulls back and he draws his bow and he shoots that arrow. And of all the people in the crowd that he could hit, he hits the king. And he not only hits the king with that arrow, he's mortally wounded. Right, The prophecy of God will stand. So they knew it. Denied, he thinks he can get around it. Right, he can, he can disobey God and he'll get around it. Somehow it's going to work out okay. And in all of this, his delusion brings to pass exactly what the prophet said would happen. You know, this is one of the amazing things about prophecy, which is why God tells people beforehand You know, so much of what's going to happen. Because the wicked will still, they don't believe it. I mean, ultimately, the big prophecy, at the end of it all, is there's going to be a judgment day. You're going, to, you're going to have to give an account for how you're living your life, right? And they don't believe it. And yet everything around them is testifying to the reality. So you shouldn't be surprised. Prophecy, These prophecies are, in some respects, very often much more limited than that general warning about Judgment Day coming or the certainty of death. All right, the descriptions afforded in prophecy concerning the circumstances of the truth predicted are not given to provide these circumstances for that's done according to a sovereign arrangement look at Ezekiel, or excuse me Exodus 6 eight I to, the which I did swear to give yeah so th- the circumstances of, of that prediction, right? Don't give all the the um, the circumstances uh, for what is being predicted. Okay, but they're afforded there what whatever he tells them about how this is going to happen is afforded to show after the fulfillment that the truth was indeed that which was had been foretold. In other words, God tells them enough tells us enough, it tells us people enough, when the prediction comes true, you can look back at that and you can say, that was clearly that prediction. Now this is is exactly why, by the way, it's very hard uh, to understand exactly what some of these predictions mean ahead of time. Afterward, history is a good indicator, a good interpreter of prophecy. Right, but it's prophecy is a bad uh, a bad way for us to try to to grow uh, through history because we just don't really get it until we're there and beyond. All right so these things are, are told to show that it was the truth which God told it wasn't just something, you know, like the truth. there wasn't just a shadow of it, but it's exactly what God was predicting. So with Joshua 23, 5 and 15. So prophecies of duty will be done then lead men to it, not as attracted by circumstances, but rather as directed by the divine counsel. So look for example at Deuteronomy 923.
1: Likewise when the Lord sent you from saying
0: Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebel against the Lord your God, and not hearken to His voice. So that's sort of the contrary point, which means, on the other hand, that that when uh, you're you're being directed by divine counsel uh, when something is being prophesied that that you should do this. Right, it's not just. There's not just a command, there's a counsel there uh, because the idea is that you are to be doing something that is um, uh, that, that will, it will actually gain the um, approbation of the divine, right? That, that God has already, in fact, expressed prior approval uh, to what is prophesied. So, prophecy, therefore, independently of its fulfillment, prophecy affords a reason for covenanting. So I want to compare Isaiah forty-five twenty-three with Philippians two ten.
1: I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. But unto every knee shall bow every tongue shall verse ten. That the name of Jesus, every knee
0: should bow things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. So, properly authenticated then, prophecy has the force of an argument. Look at Psalm 63,
3: Psalm 63, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped.
0: Yeah, so, God... Remember, God rejoices in the truth. So when these prophecies are authenticated, we know these are the these are the prophecies of God. Uh, these are things that God is not only predicting are going to come to pass, but that He He is um, showing some kind of approbation prior to that. There's some indication prior to that that He will approve, all of that has the force of an argument to do it. It's shown to be prophecy, both by the circumstances in which it was uttered and by the fulfillment it is manifestly conducive to duty. i to look at Second Chronicles 15, 14 and 15. Chronicles 15,
2: verses 14 and 15. They swear unto the Lord with a loud voice, and with shouting, and with trumpets, and with cornets; and all Judah rejoiced to the earth, for they had sworn with all their heart, and sought Him with their whole desire, and He found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round right about.
0: Yeah, so, um, the fact is that the circumstances in which it was uttered. Uh, The prophecy and the fulfillment of these prophecies, right, show that it's conducive to duty. So we have prophecies, you know, that they should, uh, when they come back to the land, we're going to see this, that they should uh, covenant and they do it and God approves of it. You know, all of this is uh, something which is. Manifesting the duty that underlies what they're doing, right? So the fulfillment of prophecy is a scriptural test of its truth. Numbers 16.29 In other words, the prophet is saying, look, if if I predict I just predicted the way these people are going to die. And if they die the death of common men, you know I didn't I didn't say it, you know that I'm not a real prophet of God. do you, you know what story this is? Anybody know the story here? It's Koradath and in the viral. And so they didn't die the common death Uh, the fact is that they they um, are swallowed up the ground opens up and swallows them right but manifestations made of divine approbation of the prophet even before what was uttered by him was fulfilled also attest that such was of God so look at Joshua 2 5 to 9
1: and for 2 verses 5 through 9.
0: That came to pass about the time of shutting of the
1: gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went or what not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. She had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of glass, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And then pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they were, and as soon as they were pursued after them were gone out, they shut be. Before they were laid down, she came yeah, up. sorry, it should be Joshua 1, 2, yeah. uh, 5 to
0: 9.
1: Joshua 1, verses 5 to 9. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper with the thou goest. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. thou therein, Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For they, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid; neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest.
0: So the the, the idea here is that in in Joshua's case, uh, just like in Moses' case, just like in the case of most of these prophets of God, there are all kinds of indications that are given before they say anything um, like this, right, that should clue you in that these are prophets of God. Uh, there's a divine approbation on the prophet himself, so it's a prophecy is authenticated by one or other or both of these things. That is, either um, by its fulfillment or by the the manifestation of divine approbation on the prophet, right? So sometimes you you can say, "Well, I'll wait and see the fulfillment." Um, other times, if you know this person is a divine prophet, the point in the Bible is you better believe it. right? You better go with that. So one or both of these things gives encouragement to perform the service. Look at Numbers 23.19. Numbers 23.19. <clears throat> God is not a man that he should lie, not a son of a man, that he, that he should
1: repent. As he said, and shall he not do what he spoke
0: You know, the, again, the, the fact is that God, <clears throat> the Bible is very clear. God is going to tell us what he's going to do, <clears throat> and he, he's going to do what he tells us he's going to do. Right? These are flip sides of the same coin. He's telling us what it, what he does beforehand, and he does exactly what he says he's going to do. Whether whether he's directly enacting it (coughs) or it's a matter of the unfolding of the providence of God. (coughs) The fact is, either way, (coughs) God is shown to be true and steady and constant. So, did God speak by his servants in order to inform men that his name should be called upon in valiant swearing unto him? Well, look at Deuteronomy six thirteen. Deuteronomy six thirteen.
1: Deuteronomy six thirteen. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name.
0: So the answer is yes, he did uh, speak by his servants to inform men that they should call upon him and vow. And because of such a peculiar manifestation of his will, then the duty behooves to be performed. So we want to compare Deuter- or, excuse me, Genesis uh, 28, 16 to 20 with Genesis 35, 1. Genesis 28, to 20. 20.
3: And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. <coughs> Jacob rose up early in the morning and took a spoon that he had put for his pillars and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, for the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat. And raiment to put on. So that I come again to my father's house. In peace. Then shall the Lord be my God.
2: Verse 1. And God said unto Jacob. Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God. That appeared unto thee, when thou fledest from the face. of the Lord.
0: Yeah, so. there is there a peculiar manifestation of the will of God? That... Um, moves, uh, moves him to, um, uh, make a vow? The answer is yes. Uh, is that in and of itself, is that a, a, a something which would encourage or really press the duty, the performance of the duty? And the answer is yes. It's a, Jacob's very, very uh, quick to perform the duty on the first opportunity he has. <clears throat> After the, um, the the covenant has been um, fulfilled, as it were, on God's part, right? He wants to make sure he pays his end. So, if the dictation of his will is a law in reference to the service, had been sufficient, he would not otherwise have enjoined it. Look at Exodus 6, 4, and 5.
3: It,
0: it, the fact is, God could have simply said to... Um, uh, the children of Israel obey me, right? That—that's what everyone owes God obedience. But that wouldn't have um, that wouldn't have been sufficient for the kind of service God wants. So He adds to it a covenant with a promise. Right? God wants your voluntary service. He wants you to serve Him willingly from with a willing heart wants you to serve him not with slavish fear but with that kind of of um, father that, that affection you have toward your 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 father right as a father <clears throat> and if you don't have that you you're never going to be able to serve God aright the fact is that you know how you interact with the the, uh, the fifth commandment uh, is a direct a direct analogy to how you're actually interacting with God. So, <coughs> God. You know, you're you're in a situation where God, um, you you're under the law by reason of the creation, right? You you are required to obey, but God doesn't simply want that kind of obedience any more than parents want just sort of an outward slavish obedience from children. You what you want is you want a willing obedience. You want your children to to um, render honor, and and that requires um, Samuel Rutherford <clears throat> uh, points out that while affections, when affections precede faith or precede our knowledge, they always distort our faith or knowledge. But when we have true saving faith. The affections, the more affection you have in that, the better the service. right? So uh, that that point of saving faith is really this point of covenant. It's where we covenant with God, and we we look to God to undertake what we ought to do. Um, but not from a principle so much as, you know, the demand of the law as from a principle that this is what we want to do. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? You have to do that anyway. And you might say, well, what's the point? Well, Jesus is saying, I don't just want that outward obedience. I want that heart obedience. I want you to obey from the heart, not just from the outside, but from the inside out. I want all of that. And so that's what God is seeking in, in adding to the law, um, these covenants. If his, man, if his will manifested in that manner confers obligation, does not the regulation of it in the condescending, the glorious language of prophecy, as well as otherwise bind to duty? Look at Psalm 132.12. Psalm 132, verse 12. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. Yeah, so in other words, what we're saying is if if the, um, the manifestation of his will that he would have you covenant, right? If that confers an obligation, Doesn't all of the other language that we find, particularly in prophecy, that is uh, condescending, it's glorious language, but it's condescending language. It's it's language that's meant to um, uh, bring us into that proper disposition to understand what God wants of us. Shouldn't that bind us to the duty even more? In other words, God doesn't just command it. He predicts and He's already promised His approval to it. And, and shouldn't that bind you to do it even more? Because the command is the law. But the promise with the, uh, the prediction with the promise of His approbation attached, that's the gospel. And that should bind you to covenant even more. Shall he use any means to make his pleasure known, of which men, by giving obedience, will not testify their approbation? Deuteronomy (laughs)
1: 27.26
0: Shall God speak, and yet man not respond? Psalm 106.48 The point is this. Whether God commands us with a curse or with a promise, or God predicts with a promise or a curse, either way, as His people our response should be to say amen to that. In other words, whatever he tells us to do, we should say amen under under the threat of the curse, that is the law, or if he promises to reward obedience as uh, the obedience to the gospel, we should say amen to that too. Remember, all these these commands are only coming to you as as being harsh when you're inclined to disobey. You know, they're, they're chastening. It's a chastening effect. The law has a chastening effect. But when the Spirit of God is working in your heart, you are more and more inclined to obey. And so it's more like you're looking at that prediction. You're going to find the the prediction and the promise of God's approval to be a, a much more compelling argument to covenant than God saying, Do this, swear by my name. <clears throat> and yet they're both they both have the same thing in view, right? I mean they're both really studying this issue of the glory of God. Okay, but the the one, the one is the command to man uh, in his uh, natural estate, and the other is the command of faith. It's and it, and it enjoins an evangelical. It's calling for an evangelical obedience. All right, That brings us to the second part of what we need to consider, and the first part of this is going to be quick and the second part will be a little bit longer but question two wherein does it appear that Old Testament prophecy predicted covenanting in Old Testament times and the fact is that there are indications even in the Old Testament that earlier prophets are prophesying that later in what we would now call the Old Testament times they're going to prophesy or excuse me they're going to covenant so, for example, look at Jeremiah 4.2.
2: Jeremiah
3: 4.2. <clears throat> they shall swear the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory.
0: So the prophecies under this head can be divided into uh, two, two categories, really. The earlier, those are the earlier prophets, and those are the later uh, prophets, that is. So the first class... Would include in it, for example, those of Jacob and Moses and others who were employed to predict the future circumstances of Israel. So look for example at Genesis forty-nine one and Deuteronomy thirty-one, twenty-four
2: to thirty. Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. <coughs>
3: Jesus commanded the Levites to stir the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put
2: it into the ark the covenant of the Lord your God, then it may be there for a witness against me. For I know that rebellion, I seek to hold on and realize as we dispay and let the against the Lord, and how much more after my death. The I know their officers my death, I know that after my death, I know that after my
3: death, Yourselves and turn aside from the way which I commanded
2: you,
3: who before,
0: defy you in the latter days, because you will do evil on the side of the Lord to provoke him to anger for the work of your hands. What are your engagements in the words of this song? So, Jacob and Moses both <clears throat> are very much toward the end of their lives, uh, they're very much involved in predicting what's going to happen in Israel. Jacob, if you recall, we talked about this last time, I think. Um, Jacob, actually, we know at least on, I believe, three separate occasions, renews this covenant. Moses, of course, is very much involved with the establishing of the covenant with respect to the nation of Israel. Okay, so they're they're very, in, in each case... Uh, On the one hand, they are clearly at the center of this covenant purpose and they're prophesying and the the, uh, the, uh, predictions that they're making, we should understand, are serving the ends of the covenants that they've made. They've entered into these covenants. uh, These covenants are not empty engagements, but they're looking down through history and in the case of Jacob he's telling them you know what is going to happen to them um and how they're going to behave up until as we're going to see in a, in a later verse here uh, Jacob takes it right down to the time of Messiah Moses does something very similar. He, he takes them, maybe if not toward, all the way to the time of Messiah, he takes them uh, into the into the future uh, quite a ways. You know, they they were aware of of um, the unfolding of, of of the providence of God. They predicted these are markers in what we could call covenant keeping or covenant breaking. These predictions are all markers. And so their predictions are serving the interests of the covenant. So we should see these these predictions as, in fact, impacting. And if if you know that that, um, there are these two possibilities, that are set before you. Because very often, these predictions are set out as two paths you can go by. right? You have two paths that you can take. One is obedience and one is disobedience. And God says, if you obey, this is going to happen. If you disobey, that's going to happen. Now, sometimes he just says, look, I know you're going to disobey, and this is what's going to happen. Right Now, the question is, what should you derive from that? should you say, well, uh, you could take the fatalist approach and say, well, it's this is what's going to happen. Remember what the king did. He tries to dress in a different way and avoid the outcome of that prophecy. But the real response, if you want to avoid the outcome of the prophecy, is not to try to get around the end when you're going to follow the course of disobedience. Right? If you want to avoid that end of disobedience then do the obedient thing. remember what happened when Jonah said to Nineveh 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown the the Ninevites the Gentiles are smart enough to say, wait a minute, maybe God will be merciful and they repent and sackcloth and ashes and Nineveh exists in for you know several hundred years after. Okay, it eventually is destroyed. Uh, Nahum talks about it, but J- uh, under Jonah, they're given a reprieve. God pulls back, at least from our point of view. So, just because there is this negative prophecy, doesn't mean you know you should go for that because that doesn't have carry with it the approbation of God. Remember, we have to join with that prophecy what we know about the the law of god we can't just say oh well god says x is going to happen and therefore no matter what i do no 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 you see x is going to happen because you're going to be disobedient but if you repent you know like hezekiah turns and repents and god gives him another 15 years you just don't you don't know what will happen in that case, if you are obedient. So very often when the the bad scenario is the only one given, it really is, it should be, um, a bigger threat that would drive you back from going down that path. You shouldn't just resign yourself and say, well, there's nothing else I can do. There are people, and I say that because there are people I've met who just say I... I don't. I'm not a believer. I'm going to hell, so I might as well live, you know, like an unbeliever. Wrong answer. Okay. Yes, you are going to hell on the current path. So it's very interesting how this works um, in prophecy and covenanting. But remember, the the prophecy serving the interest of the covenant. Referring to the Church of God as a covenant society in general, uh, they foretold that the exercise of covenanting should be performed by its members, uh, as, for example, in the blessing of Moses on the tribe of Levi. So look at Deuteronomy 33, 8-10.
1: Deuteronomy 33, verses 8-10. 33,
0: verses
1: 8-10. Of Levi, he said, Let thy thune and I urin be with thy Holy One, who now didst prove at Massa, and with whom now didst strive at the waters of Meribah, Said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children. They have observed thy word and kept thy covenant. I have put incense before thee and hold burnt sacrifice upon thy altar.
0: So that prophecy, though it's not limited to the periods of the former dispensations, uh, that could be considered especially, including in it a perspective. A perspective regard to every act of covenanting in which the church and nation of Israel as such engaged after it was delivered, that is, from Babylonian captivity. Look at Malachi 2, 5-7. Malachi 2, <clears throat> verses 5-7. The covenant was given the blood
1: and people. But a fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The all the truth was in now and a was not found in his list. To offer me a piece turn many away from iniquity, for the priests deliver these knowledge, and they should see the
0: law at mouth, the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So, again, when they're when they're delivered, what do they do? They're going to covenant these principles about the priest law, keeping the covenant, keeping the law, keeping the covenant. Um, that comes to pass. All right, we're going to see that in just a moment. Uh, but it's not limited to that time either. That has application even to the present. Uh, there's a duty that, that ministers in particular study to make sure that they declare uh, the truth as found in the Word of God. Right? You can't just make up stuff that you think is interesting. Right? The predictions of the latter prophets in regard to covenanting in the former ages were fulfilled on the return of the Jews from Babylon. So look at Isaiah 10, 22, Isaiah 28, 15 to 22, and Jeremiah 50, verse 5.
1: Isaiah 10, 22. For thy people, Israel, be as the <throat> saith of the sea, and the rain unto them shall return, and shall overflow with righteousness. Isaiah 20, 15 through 22.
3: Because ye have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell and our agreement, when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and as a falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay it in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand, and the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. The time that it goes forth, it shall take you, for morning by morning shall it pass over, day by day and by night, and it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. But the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perazim; he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, bringing to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore be not mockers, lest your bands, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts the consumption, even determined upon the whole earth.
2: Jeremiah fifty verse five ask the way to Zion with their faces that they weren't saying come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that
0: shall not be forgotten but they were so explicit and so soon fulfilled these predictions as to afford most emphatically an exhibition of the will of God in regard to their object so for example look at Ezra 10 3 to 5 Nehemiah 938 and Nehemiah 1325.
2: and now in nine verse thirty eight.
1: And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests feel unto it. Jeremiah 13, verse 25. And I contended with them and cursed them, both served them and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves.
0: So the, the point is, it was predicted that Israel, when they came out of, of uh, Babylonian captivity, when they were restored to the land, they would covenant. And we see them doing this exact thing in Ezra and Nehemiah. Right? They're, they're quick to do it. They're explicit in what they're doing. Um, this is a fulfillment of of prophecy. And it, it happens in such a way... That you can't miss the note of the divine approbation. God approves of what they're doing. Right? He's, they, it was predicted, and it, it comes to pass in a way of demonstrating that they're obedient to the um, uh, really the, the obligations that that uh, fall to them as a result of being delivered from from Babylonian captivity. All right, the third question, and and this is the one where we're starting to uh, tip the the subject more in our direction. We're going to talk about the New Testament era. Question three, where does it appear that Old Testament prophecy predicted covenanting in New Testament times? And, and this is, I think, an action a, a, a topic that we could certainly do a lot more on this. We've done a a lot of of this in uh, I think in respect to things we've already talked about, we've we've alluded to and touched upon. But we're just going to give uh, a few minutes to focus on this particular point because if the Old Testament is predicting this. Of New Testament times, then again, this has the weight, a separate, independent weight of, of uh, counsel. And uh, even it, it, uh, there, there's a force of a command going on here. So, covenanting was predicted in prophecy in reference to New Testament times, both in the first and the later ages. <clears throat> Uh, that is, early in the New Testament times, later in the New Testament times, uh, the performance of the duty in these ages was foretold, as was intimated when it was foretold that the gathering of the people uh, was to be to Messiah. So look at Genesis 49, 10. Genesis 49, verse 10. After seven the of Judah, from
1: Egypt, for the lawgiver from the I
0: will you, man, the of people. yeah so if we if we look at the earlier prophecies right the earlier uh, the first ages of, of prophecy there as it were um, Jacob is already talking about the gathering of the um, the people to the Messiah, and so that uh, that prediction, that prediction, um, shows it very early on. there's already this idea that covenanting is going to be associated with the Messianic age. many prophecies uttered concerning the restoration of Israel refer to the present dispensation, the gospel era. So if we look at I want to look at Jeremiah 31 31 to 34 compared with Hebrews 88 8. Jeremiah.
1: 31 verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them up, bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more, every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying no more. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest, that the dead, Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 8, verse 8.
3: The finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. <clears throat>
0: So you have a number of prophecies uh, that talk about Israel being restored that refer not to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, but to the gospel era. In fact, I would argue that the time of Ezra and Nehemiah is in some sense <laughs> typical of the restoration. Of Israel that will occur during the gospel era. Consequently, the predicted exercises of covenanting, which these contain, to it also belong. So Look at Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-five and Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-six. Five. And I will make with them a covenant of peace. Cause the evil beasts of the land, and they shall
2: dwell safely in the wilderness. Yeah,
0: so if, and this is the point, the first point to note about this if the prophecies about the restoration of Israel are Prophecies that pertain to the gospel era, and they clearly are, uh, at least, you know, what we see there in Jeremiah 31. And it's predicted, among other things, that Israel is going to covenant, that they're going to be engaged in this covenanting during the gospel era. Then Exercises of covenanting belong to the um, Gospel era as well as the Old Testament era. Okay? The only question might be whether or not this exercise of covenanting actually belongs to the Gentile nations as well. But we're going to see in a moment that very clearly. It takes them in too. All right, so corresponding to the prophetic intimation concerning a people who should be created to praise the Lord is that of a new heavens and a new earth. Get Psalm 102, 18 to 22. Psalm 102, verses
1: 18 through 22. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For look down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to lose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. And the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord.
0: So, the the idea here, um, the the change that will occur, it's being prophesied to occur with with coming of Christ, uh, is that it's being compared to a new heavens and a new earth. So both are to be fulfilled in gospel times. And by those who are, were uh, who were to be created, engaging in the duty of taking hold on God's covenant. I want to look at Isaiah 65, verses 16 and 17. Isaiah 65, verses 16 17. <clears throat> and
1: 17. That he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. He that sweareth in the earth shall swear by God by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. Lo, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind.
0: In other words, covenanting Isaiah talks about the swearing of the God of uh, of truth, swearing by the God of truth. Covenanting is in fact something which pertains to the era of the new heavens and the new earth, the gospel time. Uh, now, the Savior was promised for a covenant to the people and for a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. I the Lord have called me in righteousness, and I will hand and will keep
1: thee for a covenant the people for a light
0: so he Christ has been given as a covenant uh, for the people and a light for the Gentiles, and also that he might establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolated heritages. Isaiah 49, 8. Isaiah 49 8, thus
1: saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in an advance salvation have I helped thee. Now preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the
0: earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritage. Yeah, so... <clears throat> the coming of Christ <clears throat> is, a, is a, a the fulfillment of a promise that encompasses not only the Jew, but the Gentile. And the, the last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi, at the same time that he speaks of the covenant of the priesthood, having been broken by the Jews... Utters the prediction that the Lord's name shall be great among the Gentiles. Look at Malachi one eleven.
3: Rising of the sun and to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. My name shall be great among the heathen, save the word of hosts.
0: My name shall be great among the heathen. How is God's name made great? What's covenanting? Right, that pre-intimates then that all the heathen nations shall use the name of God in vowing and swearing unto him. Now, with that in mind, look at what we call the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight,
2: nineteen. 28,
0: 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In other words, there's a covenant involved. You're baptizing them into this covenant. Right. they're going to take hold of the same God as the Jews the Jews are cut off because they've broken the covenant of priesthood the Gentiles are being grafted in Early was uttered the prophecy about Japheth dwelling in the tents of Shem look at Genesis 927. And an illustration of this is given by the apostle uh, Paul, wherein the reference to covenanting is manifest. Look at Romans three twenty nine.
1: Romans three verse twenty-nine Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also.
0: And how is he the God of the Gentiles also? And the answer is because they've been taken into the same covenant. Right. This is a language. God is the God of Israel in a peculiar way. What is that peculiar way? He's taken them into a covenant. Now Paul says that too belongs to the Gentiles. So if what we said about public social covenanting being part of what the Jews are going to do when they are restored, then that pertains to the Gentiles as well. Uh, in fact, many passages besides from the Old Testament prophets show that the Gentiles in their national capacities shall vow and swear to God. want we'll to look at a few of them. Zechari- or, excuse me, uh, Psalm 22, uh, 27, Isaiah fifty-two, fifteen, Zechariah 2, 11. Psalm 22, 27.
1: All <coughs> the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. and the entrants of the nations shall worship before thee. <clears throat> Isaiah he Shall we sprinkle many nations? Shall shut their mouths of him? That which had not been told, shall they see? That which they have not heard, shall they consider? 2 11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of the the hosts has sent me unto thee.
0: How are they going to be joined? Many many will be joined in that day. And how are they going to be joined? Uh, the way they join to God is covenanting. right? The nations are going to worship him. How? In in covenant. And this is made explicit in the book of Revelation, uh, where the same thing is foretold. Revelation 11, 15 and, and Revelation 15, 4. Revelation
3: 11. The seventh angel standing there a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and shall reign forever and ever. Revelation
2: 15, verse 4. Who shall not fear yeah, thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest.
0: They're going to worship as nations. How are they going to do that as nations? Well, we're saying one of the things that has to entail is... A national confession, a national covenant. They're going to have to enter into covenant in a national capacity. Right. So in, in a in a couple more weeks, we're going to be looking at just what Scotland did in this respect. And and I'm, i I just want you to see in in Biblically, what they're doing is they're attempting to do what they're being told to do here. And so we'll assess how successful, uh, in terms, at least in biblical terms, um, and then we'll, you know, we'll talk about uh, some of the ramifications of that in a, in a few more weeks, Lord willing. But the fact is that. Nations are being called in their national capacity into this covenant with God, to take hold of the covenant to covenant. In fact, explicit predictions are made concerning the Egyptians vowing a vow and performing it, and concerning the Assyrians along with them and Israel being reckoned as the Lord's people, uh, which fall to be fulfilled in the latter times, in the later times. Isaiah uh, nine, uh, 19, 18 to 25.
3: In that day, shall come the land of Egypt and be blessed the Lord of the cross. One shall be called this.
2: That day, shall be an altar to
3: the place of the land, and the pillar
2: of the
3: Lord of shall be of the Lord. the Lord of the host in the land of Egypt, the Lord, because of the oppressors. I'll send them the river, and the great one shall deliver them. The court shall be left to Egypt the Lord in that day sacrifice and oblation, nation yeah, and a nation of all of them will perform it and will perform it and shall smite and view it and do it for that he shall be intrigued with them and shall people them. that day shall come with
2: Egypt and the men shall come into Egypt the Egyptians shall come with Egypt that day shall be the start
3: of Egypt and the Syria a blessing
0: the So uh, the fact is that that um, it's predicted that when Israel covenants that the nations will also be entering into similar covenants or vows. They're going to be taking vows. And that's at, in the latter times. When, when Israel is restored, that's a different question, but when Israel is restored by the voice of prophecy, we are assured that by covenanting in the last days, Israel and Judah shall be gathered and united as the Lord's people. Look at Isaiah 11.13 and Zephaniah 3, nine. Isaiah 11,
1: verse 13. The also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Isaiah 3, verse 9. For then will I turn to the people of pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent.
0: Yeah, that they will all call upon the name of the Lord that's covenanting, right? He's going to give them a pure lip or one, one lip or pure language. One lip is what Hebrew is, is talking about there. They're going uh, Israel and Judah are, are going to be regathered and they're going to be united during the time of Messiah as people in covenant to God uh, as a Christian people. By breaking the staff beauty, prophet was called called to signify the Lord's covenant with Israel was broken, Zechariah 11.10. And by cutting of the other staff bands, he was directed to show the brotherhood, certainly one which had been professedly by covenant. <clears throat> between Judah and Israel should be broken. Zechariah 11.14 Zechariah 11.14 Then I have it my other staff even
1: bands that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel.
0: But even an earlier prophet, by the use of the corresponding emblems of one stick for Judah and Israel as companions, as companion, and joining them into one stick was commissioned uh, to testify to their being joined to one another and taking the Lord for their God in the latter day. In other words, there's a day coming when Judah and Israel uh, his, uh, his companion they'll be joined in one stick right so there are two sticks they're going to be joined in one stick and that again will be during the Messianic period. there'll be a restoration of the Jews they're going to be joined together they're going to be in submission to Messiah. We're going to look at Ezekiel 37, verses 15 to 28. Ezekiel
3: 37, verse 15. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of the people of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel's fellows, and I will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make a stick, and they shall be one in my hand. The sticks were on thou rightest shall be in my hand before their eyes. I say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be a king to them all. They shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so that they be my people, and I will be their God. David my servant shall be their king, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, and my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore.
0: Okay, so. There's a lot going on in this chapter about the restoration of Israel and, and the effect it will have on the heathen. It, it will um, uh, bring the heathen uh, into closer, stricter uh, observance. It will bring the heathen nations. Uh, we, we expect to see the restoration of the Jews and, and the fullness of the Gentiles Uh, following on their coattails uh, shortly prior to the millennial era. Um, Anyway, this is is something which is predicted. Again, what is predicted is when they're joined together, they're going to do it uh, by covenant. And we have now intimations in other respects that the Gentile nations as well will covenant. It's not going to be something peculiar to the Jews, because it's not something peculiarly Jewish, any more than being a nation is peculiarly Jewish. Right? It's not. <clears throat> right. Referring to the words of sacred psalmody as prophetic, if we look at Psalm eighteen forty
2: nine. And sing praises
0: unto the plain. the apostle unfolds from that the exercise of covenanting is incumbent until the latest times romans
3: 15
0: 9 was my i will confess to the among the Gentiles here if you remember from some time ago that's the language of covenanting right i'm going to covenant I'm going to get thee to covenant. So the Gentiles are going to covenant, just like the Jews. That's the point here. All right? They're called to covenant. They're called to enter into covenant nationally. To, to covenant as nations. And so each nation, uh, we should expect, will have uh, the equivalent of a national covenant and and uh we expect that all nations will also covenant together. Um, so we will. We, we look forward to that. Uh, that will be a good sign that the millennium is uh, on our doorstep. Yea, as the fruit of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, a service that is of covenanting in the loftiest terms is foretold. If we compare Psalm sixty-eight eighteen with Romans fourteen eleven. <clears throat>
1: I on high, for the receive and also that the Lord God might dwell you. Romans fourteen verse eleven: For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue
0: shall confess to God. This again, the language: every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. That's the language of covenanting, right? When God, when when Christ ascends on high. <clears throat> that is a sign uh, that the um, the Messianic era has been inaugurated, and it will it will reach its um, culmination uh, of success when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess at the time uh, when all the nations will covenant before Him. Okay, so. Uh, we're going to be looking in the next couple of weeks. We'll be looking at, at just a couple more uh, things with regard to covenanting in general, uh, seasons of covenanting, and and um, some some conclusions that we can draw from this. Uh, so we understand times. What are, what are covenanting times? And so we'll we're, we're uh, moving quickly now toward uh, the point where we we're, we're going to need to start looking at that. Uh, National Covenant and the Solemn League and Covenant and, uh, the Arkansas Renovation. So, uh, Lord willing in the next few weeks.